from the city that never sleeps. 17 miles from Madison Square Garden, New York City. It's America at Night with Rich Valdez, America's favorite late night talk program featuring interesting guests from around the world and calls from across America. And now, here is your host, Rich Valdez. Hi there. Good evening. And what's up, America? I am Rich Valdez, Valdez with an S, at Rich Valdez on all of the social media. Welcome to the program. I'm grateful to be here and grateful that you're listening. The phone number is 833-482-5337, 833-4-VALDEZ. And that's Valdez with an S, by the way. Make sure you... Uh, Subscribe on all the social media outlets at Rich Valdez if you want to keep up to speed on what's going on here on the program. I will be tweeting stuff out uh, momentarily and uh, throughout the show if I can uh, to you know just keep you in the loop on what we're discussing. Uh, we're going to get to a bunch of things tonight. We're going to talk about why did the Democrats totally abandon ship and not show up to a field hearing, meaning a hearing that wasn't on Capitol Hill. This was a hearing that was held at the southern border. Now, last month, the first of such hearings was held by the uh, the Judiciary Committee and the chairman of the Judiciary Committee, uh, Congressman Jim Jordan, gave a report following that historic meeting. This hadn't been done um, in, in this current Congress. And uh, he came on our show to give us an update on what was going on. And again, same thing. Democrats kind of boycotted this and said, hey, we're not going. Now they had another chance to step up to the plate and say, look, we care about all Americans. We care about probably the, the one of the biggest, most pressing issues that our country faces. And yes, they said no again. Not a single Democrat showed up to the hearing, not one. Now, think of this. You've got kids dying of fentanyl poisoning, overdoses. Uh, you've got massive, I mean, I can't think of another word, massive unchecked migration, illegal immigration, human smuggling, human trafficking, you name it. It's all happening at that southern border. And I think we've seen case after case after case and the Democrats turned a blind eye. So I don't mean to be a partisan hack. Yes, I do. No, I really don't. Uh, but this is one of those things where have some representation. Don't ignore the entire situation because I think that's totally and completely unfair. I also want to share a headline with you because this is a big deal for everybody who, um, you know, has some money in, in a in a 401k or anything like that. Uh, that invests in stocks. The Dow closed with more than 250 points. Less than Wednesday, not good. Or excuse me, lower today than than usual, as uh, this bank crisis is now spreading to Europe. So again, everybody who was calling me on Monday saying, "Hey, look, this is the beginning of the end. This is a controlled demolition. We're bringing down the global economy." Uh, they're happy right now, right? They're happy that this is exactly what's happening. They're looking for a, uh, a scenario where it's like Mad Max, that old movie with Mel Gibson where you start trading, you know, bars of gold that you have in your basement, then you defend your home with your shotgun and, uh, you know, just an absolute crisis scenario. I'm not looking for that scenario. And I know some people are listening saying, Rich, stop trivializing this. It can happen. I'm sure it can. But I hope it doesn't, right? Because one of the things I love most about being an American is um, the excess that they hate us for, right? The fact that, you know, I can buy a burger that has not one, not two, but three beef patties on it. And uh, I really, it, it's, it's a part of life that I enjoy. And, um, uh, you know, I, 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 can't, I can't make any bones about that. Uh, I really do. So 
I don't look forward to a Mad Max scenario on our economy. I do think that there's an ebb and flow in our economy. And I think that we've known for a while that we're headed into a recession, a job killing recession because of interest rates. And I think uh, it's to me that this bank uh, issue with Signature Bank and um, SVB happened to be appeared to be isolated, but this is how CNBC and the Wall Street Journal are painting the picture. So again, maybe I'm in denial, maybe not. We'll continue this conversation, but just to give you a heads up, the 30 stock Dow ended 280 points lower or 0.9% lower at 31.874. The S&P dropped seven tenths of a point to uh, 3,891. The NASDAQ eked out a small gain uh, going up half a point to uh, uh, just over 11,000. So major averages ended the day well off of their session lows. The Dow one point down 725 points. That It didn't close that way, but at one point it was that down that much. Now, I don't typically cover financial news, but again, this seems to be dominating the headlines. And, and it, could, it could be me with my head in the sand like an ostrich. That may in fact be the case, but my gut... And I got a great gut, a really big gut that I've been working on for a long time. My gut tells me this is not it. This isn't the end of the end. If it is, don't listen to for, to me for financial advice. Uh, and that's probably why I don't get involved in that. But I think we're going to be uh, all right. I think we're going to continue to go towards the, the recession that we expected, one that I think we can eventually eke our way out of. Uh, we'll see. Uh, let me see what else is happening here that I wanted to share with you. There was a Supreme, not a Supreme Court case, but a federal court that had ruled on one of Biden's immigration rules. We're going to talk about that a little bit later on. Plus, we're going to talk about narcissism. There is a book on narcissism called Narctionary. It's like the Narcissism Dictionary. And um, the doctor who wrote the book is going to be joining us tonight, scheduled to be with us uh, to discuss this book and how to recover if you've been in a relationship with a narcissist. And I think so often, we hear about narcissistic tendencies, narcissistic behavior. People throw this term around the way people throw around the term racist. And it, it, to me, I, I don't know if it's always fitting. Uh, I know I have coarsely joked, and I shouldn't, uh, saying that I'm a narcissist from time to time because I love the sound of my own voice. And, you know, I got into a good business for it, I guess. But uh, in seriousness, I, I think this is something that is a real thing in real life, but it's also a thing where I think it's oftentimes misunderstood. And uh, those that are really going through the thick of it um, need some tips on it. And those who don't know about it should learn a few things about it. So we're going to talk about that as well. All of that said, we've got all of that coming up tonight. Plus, of course, open phone America. Now, I've noticed that I'm just going to, this is a bone I have to pick with everybody that's listening. Uh, I, my, you know, I show up every day, yes, because of the wonderful guests, and I love to speak with all of you. But my favorite part of the show is open phone America, started by Larry King, continued by Jim Bohannon. And this uh, late night town hall forum that we have where you can call in live and national and let your voice be heard is my favorite because to me it's so empowering where I get to hear from people from every corner of this beautiful fruited plain and get your perspectives. And when there are major sporting events, whether it's basketball or the um, the uh, the world, uh, what is it called? The World Baseball Classic that's going on right now. Puerto Rico, by the way, is playing tonight or played today. Um, and I, last I looked, they hadn't lost. They were, uh, I think they were competitive against the Dominican Republic. So we'll see what's going on there. But when these sporting events are going on, sometimes I get less calls. 
and I don't like it. Maybe that's the narcissist in me. I don't know. But I'm just reminding you, you can watch the game on mute and give us a call. Come on. Anyway, um, looking forward to speaking with you. And uh, I wanted to also say that my buddy James O'Keefe, he's launched a new project, OMG, the brand new company to continue the work that he started at the other place. And OMG stands for O'Keefe Media Group. So we're going to play some audio on that a little bit later. And I believe uh, James O'Keefe, or as I like to call him, O'Kizzle My Nizzle, is scheduled to be with us. Um, it might be tomorrow. So uh, don't hold me to that yet. But uh, once it's that's the, the case, I will let you know in the promos. Don't go anywhere. Don't move a muscle. There's a whole lot more to come straight ahead. We're going to talk about the border, the crisis, and the Democrats not showing up with our buddy Tom Homan. Don't go anywhere. This is America night with rich valdez This was supposed to be a full committee, but as you can see, the Democrats are not here. They decided to not to not show. Why? Well, they said coming here was just a political stunt. You tell me. Taking a hearing to the point of the crisis for a first-hand view, or boycotting a hearing because you know we're going to shine a light on the truth. Which of those is a political stunt? I'd say the political stunt. These empty chairs. You know, it's funny. This, they say, is a political stunt. Then they had the uh, train derailment in uh, East Palestine, Ohio, where, again, Biden kind of turned a blind eye to that for a while. And uh, it seems to be whenever there's bad news, the Democrats will just kind of uh, shy away from the bad news. And this is the audio clip that you just heard. Uh, Representative Mark Green, he's the chairman of the House Homeland Security Committee. And... They held a hearing in McAllen, Texas today down by the border because, like he said, that was the point of crisis. And somebody who knows that point of crisis uh, better than than all of us uh, is Tom Homan. He was the uh, former acting ICE director um, in the Trump administration. He's a visiting fellow at the Heritage Foundation, senior fellow at the Immigration Law Institute. Tom Homan, welcome, sir. Hey, thanks for having me. You bet. So let's uh, let's talk about this, because, you know, I think we, we, we I feel like we beat the drum on this topic and, and I don't know that we're getting anywhere on it. And it, it's upsetting. Uh, but to say the least, what is your take when Democrats just don't show up to a hearing when it's held near the border? Because they don't want the American people to hear the truth. They don't want to hear the truth. They know there's a border crisis. You know, it's 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 just common sense. The numbers speak for themselves. The videos speak for themselves. Since Joe Biden has become president, we've had nearly six million people cross that border. Six million, and and so they know it, but they you know they don't want to sit there and listen to it because they're going to be forced to the facts. And when we talk about the fentanyl crisis, they don't want to talk about fentanyl because if they talk about fentanyl, they have to admit the fentanyl is coming across an open border. They want to, you know. So what happened today? I know we've been beating the drum, but what happened today was meaningful because the first time we've had the deputy chief of the United States Border Patrol under oath has said the border is not secure. We do not have operation control of the border. That is in direct contrast to what the Secretary of Homeland Security has said to the news media, has said at the White House, 
and has said under oath to members of Congress. So no one knows better about the operational security of the board than the chief patrol agent. And he said today they do not have operational control. He also said that border walls work and that them stopping the border wall helped create this crisis. He, he, you know, so a lot of things were said today by the chief under oath. I'm, I'm disappointed it took the chief two years to say this. But uh, under oath today, he testified, and that is going to be a black eye to Alejandro Mayorkas, who I think needs to be impeached. But the truth came out today, and I will see how many media outlets cover it. But uh, I'm glad, I'm glad the truth came out today in, in many ways. All right, Tom Homan, we have Raul Ortiz, uh, the Border Patrol chief, at a hearing in McAllen, Texas today, uh, telling the American people uh, while he was under oath at that hearing that the Border Patrol does not have operational control of the United States border. Listen to this. Does DHS have operational control of our entire border? No, sir. Okay. Thank you for that. Um, I'd like to share it with the American people. This is the actual definition of operational control that is in the code, written into the code well before I came to Congress, the definition, and I appreciate the honesty of Chief Ortiz. Do you think that, uh, let's play a video clip here. Uh, I just want to share this question. Will you testify under oath right now? Do we have operational control, yes or no? Yes, we do. We have operational control of the borders. Yes, we do. Chief Ortiz, do you think that uh, Secretary Mayorkas is lying there? Sir, when you talk about operational control, about 10 years ago, we used operational control as a measuring stick of our effectiveness along the southwest border. Uh, My new strategy is geared towards um, uh, mission advantage. So, you you know, I, I, I'm asking a very specific question, yes, and I, I, you're, you're kind of describing how, how, how the goalpost has been moved because of the mass waves of people that are coming. My question, you heard the secretary. He said we have operational control. That's the definition based of operational control. Based upon the control. definition you have, sir, up there, no. We don't have operational control. No, sir. But is Secretary Mariuk's line? I don't. I didn't see you, the rest of the testimony there, sir. He so was at. You, you saw. He was asked if we had question. operational control, and he said yes. I, I think it's either it's either ignorance, which is unacceptable, or it's lying. Tom Homan, you know you you know this well. You you served in the Trump administration and for for decades in a law enforcement capacity, keeping our borders safe. When you hear this, what's your initial reaction to that? Disappointed. Just answer the question. It's a simple question. He's not telling the truth. I mean, when he says there's operational control of the border, what Chief should have said is, well, he's wrong. As I just testified, we don't have operational control of the border. Whether it's ignorance, whether he's lying, he's wrong when he says that. And he's been told by members of Congress he was wrong. He's been, look, he's been, the Secretary's in numerous town hall meetings with border relations who told him the same thing. So, again, you can see that he's dancing. I, I, you know, it's probably because he's maybe fearing for his job or, or whatever. But when you're under oath, just answer the question. And, I'm, you know, again, I'm glad he, under oath he said the border was, uh, was not in operational control of DHS. But to say that there's a different metric, no, there's not. The law is the law. The, the definition of operational control of the borders is spelled out in the law, and that's what the, the congressman had behind him, the definition by statute. So the question is easy. So I was disappointed in his second response. He should have just come out and say, no, he's wrong when he said that. Now, 
What would it take? And again, I, I know this is probably restating the obvious, but just for the listeners um, who, who are just you know tuning in and uh, finding out what's going on, what would it take for our country, the Department of Homeland Security, to achieve this operational control? Like, how hard would it be to turn the ship around? Look, we proved on the Trump administration that we had illegal immigration at a 45-year low. Illegal immigration was down 83%. It was the most secure border of my lifetime. This is a policy issue. This isn't a resource issue. The President Biden signed 90, over 90 executive orders, pretty much uh, uh, abolishing everything we did to give us our most secure border. If they wanted to secure the border, if they really want to do their job, all they got to do is d- dust off the policies we put in place during the Trump administration. And this is not my opinion. Look at the data on the last two years of President Trump when we got all this stuff in place and look at the data now. We've proven it worked. The data clearly shows that. So if they want to secure the border at the highest levels ever, they can simply dust off those plans and implement them. We've done it before and we've proven it works. If they want to, and, and they could have proved on it. Look, they could, both Joe Biden could have came in office and finished building the wall finished a few other policies that were outstanding, and he could be sitting, you know, walking around the country taking credit to have even a more secure border than President Trump. But he chose not to do that. But again, this isn't ignorance. This isn't, this isn't mismanagement. This isn't incompetence. They did this by design. They knew exactly what they're doing because when, the, when the, the new administration is coming in, there's hundreds of transition meetings where career folks told them, if you do this, this is going to happen. If you do this, this is going to happen. We told them, you get away with these policies, you're going to have a surge like you've never seen before. So we went from the most secure border in my lifetime to historic numbers we've never seen before in history of this country on illegal immigration. They knew exactly what they were doing. And it's interesting to note, in my opinion, that we went from the most secure border in, in, in recent history uh, to probably the most insecure border with the biggest influx of people that we've ever seen. And of course, it's by design. But I think one has to ask, why, why so much, and why is Biden holding out? If if you could surmise, well, Bass, well, why would they do it? Look, I, I, there's a couple of theories out there. One of them, you know, I think one of them just, you know, I think this president sold out to the progressive left and won the election. He knew he needed their support, and they believe in open borders. They actually believe that we shouldn't have borders. All right. Well, stick around. Tom Homan, uh, we're coming right back. I want to get your reaction to a clip of audio between Dan Bishop and the chief. Don't go anywhere. Our guest, Tom Homan, former acting director of ICE and senior fellow at the Immigration Reform Institute. Don't go anywhere. Wyndham Hotels and Resorts makes travel possible for all. Whether it's the long haulers looking for a great cup of coffee, a roomier rest for the on-a-wim road trippers, or a place to make summer memories with the whole family. No matter who you are, where you're going, or why, with 24 trusted brands to choose from like La Quinta, Days Inn, and Super 8, your Wyndham is waiting. Get the lowest price at WyndhamHotels.com. Restrictions apply. Visit website for more details. Afford Anything talks about how to avoid common pitfalls, how to refine your mental models, and how to think about 
how to think. Paula, while certainly you can mess up on a million dollars a year, it is far less likely than it is on $30,000 a year. Right. I would meet wonderful people that were struggling with a budget that was super tight. It was 100%. You need to make more money. Make smarter choices and build a better life. Afford anything, wherever you listen. Welcome back. And earlier there was an exchange between the chairman of the Homeland Security Committee, Mark Green, uh, as well as Representative Dan Bishop and the Border Patrol Chief, Raul Ortiz. I want you to hear very quickly what uh, Ortiz said has been happening at the border in terms of known gotaways. Listen to this. I will tell you that uh, the Godaway number is a number that for a long time was associated with art. It was our agents out there actually cutting uh, swaths of country uh, and using, you know, footprints as an indicator as to what we were uh, uh, seeing out there. That was our situational awareness with the investments that this Congress has made into the Border Patrol, CBP as a whole. We have greater situational awareness now than I've ever had. Uh, my confidence level in that Godaway number continues to increase. Is it 100 percent? No, sir. Um, at 385,000 Godaways so far this fiscal year, we continue to refine that number. I've got to do a better job of accounting for the uh, actual encounters. Chief, Chief, I have, I have limited time. I just need a number. What percentage of the 1.3 that you know got away? How much more do you think got away you know, that you don't know about? In my estimation, based upon the situational awareness that I have, probably be between 10 and 20 percent, sir. More? Yes. So now that's according to fiscal year 2023. Our guest is Tom Homan, former acting ICE director in the Trump administration. Uh, he's also with the Heritage Foundation. Tom Homan, uh, we, we keep hearing about these gotaway numbers and they don't seem to be trending in the right direction. Uh, gratefully that we're having this on display today and, and we've gotten the Border Patrol chief on the record saying, hey, we don't have Operation Control. Uh, but w- where does this go if this continues to spiral out of control? It's going to get worse, right? We're at 1.3 million gotaways since Joe Biden's taken office. And these are known gotaways. These are tracked on drones, cameras, and sensors. 1.3 million gotaways since he become president. And that's what we know. Okay, now a lot of large sections of the border have, have no technology. They don't have a drone. They don't have, they don't have a sensor. So like to, the, uh, to, to the, uh, the National Park in Texas, very rough terrain, no wall, no technology, so 1.3 is what we know of, and you can you can bet there's going to be many more. He says 10 to 20 percent. I think it's much. I would say 40 percent. But look, it's going to get worse. What the border patrol is doing? They know they lost control of the border. The secretary knows they lost operational control of the border. So what have they done? They've taken valuable tools away from the border. So right now, they've taken down. They've taken out most of the aerostats. You know, the big blimps are flying the sky in Texas. They oh, have yeah. grounded them. And why did they ground them? Because they don't want to count gotaways because that's one place they, they count the gotaways. So they figure by taking tools down, they don't have to report such an amazing, you know, an incredible number of gotaways. This is a dishonest administration. 
They don't want to tell the American people the truth. So the Gataway numbers are going to get worse, but the number reported is probably going to be better because they're, they're removing the capabilities to track them. Now, when you do something like that, and I, we've seen this, we see this with uh, the, the mayor in New York City stopped counting certain types of crime, had the prosecutors downgrade the crime so that to try and control the numbers. Um, it seems like that's the same thing that's happening at the border. But even in doing that, with that manipulation of the numbers, we still see these drastic increases. Um, what's the first, I guess, the first step? How, how, do, how do we uh, correct that besides Congress um, holding oversight hearings? Look, he corrected by, again, I'll say it again, by implementing the Trump policies that were proven effective. The reason Trump created these policies through executive actions is Congress has failed to address the border crisis. These, these people don't get nothing done up there. And it's just not the Democrats. We've got some Republicans who stonewalled uh, border security. Uh, you got H.R. 29 out there by Chip Roy, which would help address the border situation. It pretty much follows the Trump policies. But then you got other Republican congressmen that, don't want to support it for some reason or another. But look, Congress needs to fix this. That's the overall fix. There's three loopholes they could close legislatively. If they close those three loopholes, you take care of 85% of the border problem. But President Trump re- recognized very quickly, even though he had the House and the Senate the first two years, that they weren't moving on it. So he, he was going to you know, make executive action decisions, which he did, which were proven effective. That approves it. So the only way they're going to fix this without the help of Congress is by executive orders, and if the Biden administration wants to secure the border, they got the game plan right there. All they got to do is dust it off and use it, but they won't because it's a Trump game plan. Tom Homan, you, you put in a lot of work both uh, in service to the country at the border and now um, with various think tanks. Uh, tell everybody a little bit about the work that you're doing now, what they could expect to come from you moving forward. Well, I'm busy suing this administration. Uh, I'm working with uh, several groups as a senior fellow. I, I've flown to de- uh, I've, I've written affidavits for the state of Texas. I've written affidavits for Florida. I've written affidavits for Arizona. I've written affidavits for Missouri uh, as an expert witness on immigration. I went and testified in Houston, Texas for several hours. I was on the stand testifying against the Biden administration's misuse of, of a statute. And we won that lawsuit. Matter of fact, we're like six and all. And I'm going to continue suing this administration until they do something about the border. Because what your listeners need to understand is I don't care what their opinion is on illegal immigration. But when you cause a crisis this big that has taken 70 to 80 percent of agents off the line, that creates other problems. That's why the fentanyl is flown across, flown across that killed 106,000 Americans. That's why there's over uh, 1,700 migrants that died on U.S. soil, a record. That's why we have a historic number in sex trafficking on women and children. That's why we have the cartels making billion dollars a year. When you open up, and, and another reason, that's why we have a record number of known suspected terrorists being arrested trying to enter the country. Now, they've arrested 61. How many of the 1.3 million or, or somebody that came from this country do us harm? They've arrested right. people from 170 different countries. Some of those countries are sponsors of terrorism. If you don't think a single one, that 1.3, came from a country sponsoring terrorism, then you're ignorant to the data and to the percentages. So, you know, regardless of what your opinion is on illegal immigration, when you call this crisis big, it causes a public safety crisis, a public health crisis, and a national security crisis. I think what's happening on the border right now is the biggest national security barrier this country's seen since 9-11. I don't know how many terrorists have gotten in this country, but some people are going to find out it's going to be a bad day for America. 
100%. Man, well, I'm glad you're on the job, and I wish you were actually on the job. You were down there doing what needs to be done. Two more Hopefully, years. Two yeah. more years. <laughs> Amen the right that. man comes back, I'll go back. It'll be a hell of a pay cut, but I'll go back for free at this point. I'm so upset. So. Outstanding. Tom Homan, former acting ICE director in the uh, Trump administration, uh, senior fellow at the Heritage Foundation, as well as uh, the Immigration Law Institute. Tom Homan, like always, it's a pleasure and thank you. All right. Thank you for what you're doing. Appreciate you. You bet. All right, folks, more to come straight ahead. We've got uh, an announcement from James O'Keefe, the founder of Project Veritas, who was recently removed by Project Veritas, the organization that he started And uh, it's good news for America, good news for those that seek the truth. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. All right, America, welcome back. It's Rich Valdez, Valdez with an S, at Rich Valdez on all of the social media. And uh, if you have a reaction to uh, the border crisis or James O'Keefe that we were talking about, feel free to give us a call, 833-482-5337, 833-4-VALDEZ. And uh, what's interesting uh, today in the news, and there's a lot of news out there today, so hopefully we can get through everything. But one of the things the that you know I think is being ignored is this story about James O'Keefe and his new project, uh, which is, you know, his investigative journalism company. It's a nonprofit that he started many years ago, Project Veritas. And, you know, he was ousted by people saying that he was whatever, reckless, careless. uh, He spent too much money, this, that, and the other, the money that he was out there raising. And nobody had a problem except for that board, right? Because if you're donating money to an organization that you know goes through um, whatever length they need to go to, to achieve the desired result, right? They, they don't stop because they say, oh my gosh, we can't get here on time or we can't get there. You know, they, they, make, they find a way and they make it happen. And people are donating because they, they are appreciative of the results. But a select number of folks on the board felt that oh, it was their duty to do this and to do that and to do the other. And again, maybe we could have that argument another day. I think what they did was foolish and uh, likely selfish and uh, designed to promote themselves and um, destroy he who was the brain, um, the thought leader here um, of this brainchild known as Project Veritas. But he's back and he said he's got a new company, OMG, the O'Keefe Media Group. Listen to this audio from James O'Keefe. The irony of the acorn story is that it took a 25-year-old with a hidden camera a few days to do what billion-dollar networks and journalists could not do in a decade. I spent 14 years creating the most effective nonprofit newsroom this country has ever seen. And in paving the way to establish citizen journalism, I have been defamed, arrested, raided, and ultimately removed 
removed from the organization I spent so much time developing credibility of. I always knew they would try to ruin the reputations of those who expose them, the pharma giants, the three-letter government agencies, and those who I thought I could trust. But in response, we are going to build an army of investigators and exposers. They have awakened the sleeping giant. I'm back. Remaining by my side are a small, tight-knit group of the most elite journalists in the world. Exposing corruption requires standing up to power because power hates sunlight. We are sunlight. Welcome to the O'Keefe Media Group, where we will never be shut down. Because not only do I own it, but you own it too. Support us and sponsor our army of journalists by becoming a founding member today. Well, that's the uh, update from James O'Keefe. He had been teasing this all week, saying that there was a big announcement coming, and uh, this was that forthcoming announcement. Uh, kudos to James. You can't keep a good man down, in my opinion. And look, I've, I've had differences with James in the past because I worked with him and I ran the, the national um, field portion of this, which was known, I believe at the time, was called Director of Special Operations. And I basically helped manage the people doing the undercover work all over the country. Uh, but I can tell you, when it comes to his commitment and uh, his, you know, where, where his heart's at and his mission-oriented attitude, uh, nobody comes close. I mean, James is both uh, creative as he is intelligent and committed. And uh, it, it was a loss for Project Veritas. And again, I, I'm curious to see how, how they continue. I know they've put out some videos recently. People have sent them to me. Uh, I'm sticking with uh, OMG, O'Keefe Media Group. And I, I, um, I urge you to do the same. Now, he's got this new venture, OMG, O'Keefe Media Group. He put out the video. Let me tell you a little bit about it. Uh, he did this again, and he mentioned it in the video. He started a young man. I, I met James close to 10 years ago when we worked together. And he was, uh, he was younger than me then. And he started this in his, you know, mid twenties, early twenties, uh, with, uh, a lot of mentorship from Andrew Breitbart, the founder of Breitbart.com. And he did a bunch of things and he, he used to get around by reaching out to the blogs that were out there and the blogosphere was his original audience and and they found this interesting but project veritas as you can tell is very mainstream to the point where they've tried to cancel him from the inside you know i don't know if if taking a um a private jet to a donor meeting is reason to um oust the guy from his position as a ceo but that's what they decided to do and i think it was very foolish i really do there was to date to date, there's still not a donor on record saying, I'm not giving to Project Veritas anymore. An organization that raises, I don't know, north of $20 million a year in order to unearth the stories that they did. And remember, they've gone undercover and infiltrated Pfizer. They've gone undercover uh, with uh, television news um, organizations, uh, big networks, and um, CNN. They've gotten so many different people, the, the pedophile guy, uh, producer, excuse me, that was with CNN. I mean, there's so many things that were uncovered. Uh, it, too many to count, honestly. Uh, there was Acorn, which is their big sting. The next big one after they try to count them out was NPR, when they got the CEO of NPR to resign because uh, he, he made it clear that he was uh, in, in accordance and alliance in the bag. 
in bed with the Muslim Brotherhood, if you will. And again, it was all hypothetical, but nobody knew that, right? <laughs> and it just it just blows me away. I worked on a project with him where we had a bunch of people involved where we took on Hollywood and actors like Ed Begley Jr., Marielle Hemingway, the granddaughter of uh, the famous uh, writer Ernest Hemingway, and, and others that were involved, uh, very involved in Hollywood that were huge environmentalists. And they, they vowed to be green and when faced with a little bit of Saudi oil money, they couldn't help but take it. I mean, the hypocrisy is just astounding. And that one was actually, that was a short film that we produced. And that was screened at the Cannes Film Festival. So that was a lot of fun. I think that was back in 2015. Anyway, uh, so I wanted to give you that update. Uh, O'Keefe is scheduled to be with us tomorrow, um, presuming he doesn't, you know, get caught up in some undercover sting operation <laughs> and uh, and get sidetracked. But I'm looking forward to that. And uh, straight ahead, we're going to talk about what happened with Joe Biden today and uh, why is he making jokes when the economy's in a shambles? I don't know. We'll talk about that straight ahead. Plus your calls, 833-4-VALDEZ. Don't go anywhere. This is America night with Rich Valdez. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. All right, America, welcome back. It's Rich Valdez, Valdez with an S, by the way, at Rich Valdez on all of the social media. And uh, I want to talk a little bit about what's going on with Joe El Baboso Biden, Joe El Baboso Biden, also known as the president of these United States. And he was in Las Vegas today. And it's interesting. I'm, I'm going to play a couple of clips for you. And, and in the first one, he makes mention of, well, golly, it's... It's the Republicans, right? And in the second one, he also mentions the Republicans. But uh, let's go to this first clip here. Biden in Las Vegas today uh, asked about tax cuts. Listen to this. My Republican friends say, well, what are you going to cut taxes for the wealthy? I said, no, I got a better way of saving money. Not a joke. If, in fact, you limit the amount of money that can be charged to reasonable prices by the drug companies, you know how much we'll save this year? A hundred and $60 billion. All right, let's just take that one apart for a second. So he says his Republican friends ask him when he's going to cut taxes and he throws in for the wealthy. And he says, no, I got a better way to save money. Uh, hold on a second. How, how do you save money? By not paying taxes, right? Now he throws in, no, no, no. Because what, how am I going to save any money with his drug plan? Who says I'm buying any of these drugs? Are you buying those drugs? Maybe you are. Maybe you're not. Not everybody's buying these drugs that he's going to use uh, some sort of government price control on. Now, listen, and that's a separate argument. Uh, I know when it comes to that stuff, a lot of people say, oh, well, that's when we like big government. That's when we like a government that tells us what to do, right? Nobody liked it during COVID, but when, it's say, when they're saying, hey, you can't sell this for this much, then everybody loves it. But listen, my point here is, Americans come in every stripe, and and one of the few things that we all do is pay taxes, right? Uh, unless you're at the uh, in that bracket where you know you you don't pay taxes and you still get t child tax credits, then you're in the money. And again, you're usually not in the money, so to speak. You're just you're getting a couple of dollars back uh, in addition to not having to pay taxes. So I get that, and that's the result of our progressive um, tax code. 
But it's fascinating to me that his pivot here is when they're, they're talking about tax cuts and he goes into health care. And that's fine. We can talk about health care. We'll, uh, we'll do a bunch on health care in the midnight hour. Um, uh, straight ahead, we're going to talk about a couple of different things. Uh, I want to talk about this lawsuit that went to the federal court and the court ruled saying, no, that the Biden administration just can't do whatever they want when it comes to immigration. Uh, so we're going to talk about that. We're going to chat with Hans von Spakovsky from the uh, Heritage Foundation. Uh, I'm also going to talk about uh, some of the work he's doing with respect to schools. So don't miss that. That's coming up straight ahead. Then we, after that, we've got uh, Dr. Tracy Kemble joining us to talk about her book on narcissism called The Narctionary. So I think that's going to be a lot of fun. Don't go anywhere. Don't move a muscle. Keep it locked right here. I am Rich Valdez. It's America at Night, and we're coming right back. city that never sleeps 17 miles from madison square garden new york city it's america at night with rich valdez america's favorite late night talk program featuring interesting guests from around the world and calls from across america and now here is your host rich valdez Hi there. Good evening. And what's up, America? I am Rich Valdez, Valdez with an S, at Rich Valdez on all of the social media. And there's a number of uh, headlines that we're discussing. Obviously, we just had a conversation on the hearing that occurred at the southern border today. And this one was, um, you know, again, not a surprise, but uh, I guess call me naive to think that maybe the Democrats would have showed up at this one and they didn't. And, And that's a shame because I think Every American suffers at the hand of this. But there's also a number of other headlines, and it doesn't matter what day of the week it is. It seems there's always a headline about the new woke agenda, whether it's books that probably shouldn't be uh, that are in libraries or in school curricula or uh, drag queen story hours or drag brunches that they have now where they're including kids. And the latest one I saw was a invitation to one of these drag brunches where they had a baby on the cover encouraging parents to bring their small children. Now, I understand when you're trying to normalize something that was once considered very taboo, you want to get the youngest audience possible so that they grow up with a normalized uh, or desensitized sense of what's going on. However, I think parents need to be vigilant. And we see this wokeness in all uh, in all areas, it's not just drag. It's, it's all sorts of things. It's, it's uh, the 1619 Project and so many other things. And even in uh, racial inequality in the name of equity, right, where certain uh, students are are not looked at for certain scholarships and others are. And it just it doesn't end. And to to get to the bottom of that, I want to bring in one of our experts here. Um, He's the uh, senior legal fellow of the Election Law Reform Initiative, and he's the manager of that, Hans von Spakovsky from the Heritage Foundation. And uh, it was nice to actually uh, meet Hans uh, briefly. I shook his hand at CPAC, and uh, he's just as tall in real life as he is on the radio. Hans von Spakovsky, welcome, sir. 
Rich, it's nice to uh, be on the show with you. You bet, sir. All right, so I, you've written a piece recently, and I wanted to um, get you to elaborate on it. Uh, school administrators undermine excellence to promote equity. And this is something we've seen time and again. We saw it in Virginia where they, they gave away scholarships to um, to to students that weren't deserving of them, to students that had meritoriously earned them. And it, it seems to not end. And I, I feel like... We, I want to think we're going away from the bad and the crazy, but sometimes I feel like we're headed right into the bad and the crazy. What do you think, Hans? Oh, no, it's it's getting worse. And uh, what I was talking about was that, um, look, there's a high school in Fairfax County, Virginia. It's the, it's the Thomas Jefferson mm-hmm. uh, uh, High School for Math and Science. It's a magnet school. It's a public right. school, but it's 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 considered one of the top high schools uh, in the country. Um, But uh, a mother, a very persistent mother, discovered that um, Thomas Jefferson had not notified her son. Her son went to school there. He's now in college. Had not notified her son that he had been one of the students who had received a national merit commendation. and it turned out that that was a deliberate, intentional policy because Thomas Jefferson, they've been going through a lot of changes and they had put in one of those equity for all policies. And uh, uh, one of the administrators there, when she called uh, about this, said to her that uh, they didn't want to notify the students who'd gotten these awards because it might hurt the feelings of the students who didn't get them. And, wow. and it turned out that uh, after when they started investigating this, it wasn't just the Thomas Jefferson High School. It was more than a dozen and a half other schools also in several counties in the northern Virginia area. This, this had become a general rule. And, you know, what's so cruel about this? is that um, those, those commendations that students get can be a factor in the admissions process. In other words, you know, when these students are applying to colleges, um, admissions officers will take that into account, and that might be the plus factor that gets them into schools. It also is potentially a plus factor if they're applying for scholarships from other organizations, and yet these administrators deliberately because of these crazy equity policies, um, denied uh, uh, notifying these students and their parents about this. It, it affected about a thousand students. Unbelievable. And, you know, I, I remember this happening, and we actually had um, one mom, might be the mom you're talking about, Asra Namani. We had her on talking about this yeah. and her son. But, like you said, this affected a lot of people. And it, it's, yeah. it, to me, it, it shows that we're, we're, um, we're not out of the woods yet. I think it's going to take a while to get away from this incessant need or desire uh, to to constantly put one's thumb on the scale in the name of equity. And th- to me, that's the craziest thing in the world that you'd say we have to go with this because that guy's really good and that guy's really talented. But we have to do it this way because this guy didn't earn it. And I think that's probably one of the most insulting things in the world, especially if you're in a competitive industry, you know, whether you're right. in academia uh, 
uh, or radio or anything else. You, you want to get to where you are. Uh, and honestly, you really only can. I mean, especially in radio. If you're not, if the ads aren't selling and people aren't listening, the ratings aren't there, the revenue isn't there, and the rest speaks for itself. <laughs> so, you know, it really is a, a, a meritocracy in in um, the free market of radio. And I think it should be the same way in education as well. Um, but who am I, right? What do I know? Well, no, but you're right. And the thing is, I know personally that this is something new at Thomas Jefferson. The reason I know that is my my daughter actually went to that high school, graduated from there 10 years ago, and they didn't have anything like that uh, happening at the time. By the way, uh, it probably doesn't surprise you to know that this is the same high school that has a pending lawsuit against it because several years ago they changed the admissions policy. Their policies used to be, because it's a magnet school, um, you you had to have uh, very good grades, and you had to take a qualifying test to get into this school. Um, they changed the admissions policies to start taking race into account in their admissions. And so the, the parents of Asian-American kids who were denied entry into the school, even though they had the grades, they had the test scores to get in, uh, filed suit uh, against the school. Unbelievable. Well, Hans, I want to get your take on, on a couple other things before we run out of time. And one of those is um, a piece that you wrote in the Daily Signal with this um, opinion that came down from the court regarding the parole plus alternatives to detention. So I want to get to that right. straight ahead, and I just want to remind everybody who we're on with. We're on with Hans von Spakovsky, senior legal fellow at the Heritage Foundation. He was a former commissioner on the Federal Election Commission, the FEC. He's also former counsel to the Assistant Attorney General for Civil Rights at the U.S. Department of Justice, and uh, he's a member of the board for the Public Interest Legal Foundation. So we're going to continue this conversation with Hans von Spakovsky. Straight ahead, your calls and more. 833, the number four, Valdez. Don't move a muscle. We're coming right back. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. Well, thank you, Rich, and thank you for everything. I know you very well, and I have I listen, but I have a lot of people that listen, and they love your show, and I appreciate it very much. America at Night with Rich Valdez. All right, America, welcome back. It's Rich Valdez. We're here with our guest, Hans von Spakovsky, and he is with the Heritage Foundation with a very long resume. Uh, I'm going to go out on a limb here and say he's a very smart guy. As you guys know, you've heard him here before. And uh, there's a piece that he's written, very brilliant piece. Let's see the headline here. Angry federal judge orders Biden's DHS and mass parole of illegal aliens. And this parole and parole plus um, was was skeptical. A lot of people were skeptical of it when it happened. Hans von Spakovsky, tell us uh, a little bit about what the judge uh determined in his ruling? Well, in essence, what the administration has is, is been doing is, uh, look, there are two rules. When an illegal alien gets to the border, if, if they've got no permission uh, to be in the U.S., they can be turned back immediately. Nothing further happening. If they claim asylum, 
then the law says they have to be detained. They have to be detained while their asylum claim is is examined. Instead, what the administration's been doing is violating those two statutes and simply catching and releasing the aliens coming in. And, of course, what happens? They just disappear into the country. Well, uh, Florida sued over this, uh, said, look, you're violating federal law when you uh, simply release en masse uh, all of these alien, illegal aliens in the country. And uh, Judge Kent Weatherall, Northern District of Florida, said, you're absolutely right. The administration is violating the law, and you can't do this. And the language he used is quite something. I mean, for example, he said that uh, that the Biden administration has, quote, effectively turned the southwest border into a meaningless line in the sand and little more than a speed bump for aliens flooding in the country. Uh, In another part of the opinion, he said um, that the open border policy that the Biden administration has put in were the same as, quote, posting a flashing come in where open sign on the southern border. <laughs> and, I don't remember know, that one. I remember the first one. That's great. But but what was fun, interesting about that was that uh, he put a footnote after he said that and said that that was an appropriate analogy because the Biden administration lawyers actually came into his courtroom and argued that they couldn't simply hang a closed sign on the border. And the judge pointed out, actually, that's wrong. Because <laughs> you federal, sure can. <laughs> fe- yeah, you can. Federal immigration law gives the president the specific ability to suspend the entry of, of aliens into the country uh, if, when he thinks it's detrimental to the interests of the U.S. That's the exact language of the statute. And you'll remember, Rich, that Trump did that. Yeah. During uh, his administration, uh, he stopped the entry of aliens from certain terrorist countries. He was sued. That went all the way to the U.S. Supreme Court. The Supreme Court said, yes, that statute exists and he's got the power to do it. And yet here was the Biden administration arguing that, uh, well, no, we can't do that, even though the Supreme Court's already said a president can do that. Hans von Spakovsky, I know you're a lawyer and a scholar, uh, but I I want you to offer me a little conjecture here, because I would think, um, A, their lawyer sucks, right, and they should get a new one, Uh, but B, why why do they try to defend their bad actions? Like, when they're called out, why don't they go, all right, you got me, you got me, I messed up, we won't do it again. Why do they always go, you know, uh, foot to the floor, pedal to the metal, and just... They double down on everything, even when they're wrong. Because they don't care about the law. They've demonstrated that on numerous occasions. Their objective with these open border policies uh, is to get as many illegal aliens into the country as possible. I, I, I mean, one is because philosophically they, they believe in these uh, this, this open borders idea. But second, I, I'm telling you, they have long-term political goals. They believe that the more aliens they can get in the country, eventually those folks will be voting and that it will help uh, the progressive left and Democrats hold on to and consolidate their power. That, that, is, that is what they're aiming for. Yeah, and I can't help, and I know people cr- uh, criticize this theory, but I can't help but think that there is a crazy mad scientist type of guy uh, like 
Klaus Schwab, for example, uh, that that sits there and says, you know, what can we do to make America less white, to make, you know, to add more minorities, add more color, uh, to, to destroy the, the, the tradition? Uh, because I think less white and less Christian, because I think that, that you see a little bit of both. And and uh, I don't know if I'm right or wrong, but I just I feel like it, it's so extreme this uh, Cloward and Piven type of approach at the border. And, and it just, to me, it, that's what it points to. I don't know. Maybe I'm crazy. But um, it sounds nuts to, to, to have such unchecked, unmitigated immigration, and everybody seems to be okay with it, except we the people. Well, that's true. But look, I, I really think political power is the uh, objective for this. And, and keep in mind, and this is demonstrated by something that happened just yesterday. Just yesterday, uh, a law passed by the D.C. City Council went into effect that will now allow um, aliens, non-citizen voting, right? Illegally, to, 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 yeah, to vote in D.C. elections. And it, it's so crazy that the only That's thing, insane. the only qualification you need to vote in D.C. is to reside there for 30 days, which means foreign diplomats will be able to vote in local elections in the District of Columbia. And people on long vacations, right? Yes. <laughs> Listen, if if uh, Rich, if Vladimir Putin came to the U.S. and stayed in the Russian embassy for thirty days, he would then be qualified to vote in the city. I wonder if he could run for mayor. <laughs> Watch out, Bowser! Oh my goodness! I mean, you can't make this up. They they've proposed this in, uh, in New York City. And when they did, everybody laughed at it. The Republicans sued and they won. And they said, you know, this is against the Constitution of the state of New York. I don't know the Constitution of the District of Columbia, but one would think somebody somewhere had some sense to say, come on, you can't have all these people that are really not even vested in the community have a say in this community. To me, it's insane to think 30 days makes you vested. Uh, You know, I moved from from a, a suburb of New York called Hudson County, New Jersey, to, to Bergen County, New Jersey. I've been here for a dozen years, and I still feel like an outsider. I mean, that's how tight-knit this community is. And to think that you could spend 30 days uh, in D.C. And, and you're in is just, it's laughable, in my opinion. So, well, it uh, is, let's, but, but, but mm-hmm. I'm sorry, no, go ahead. No, go ahead. I was just going to ask you what, what your thought on that was. Well, the other thing to keep in mind in this is some people will say, oh, well, this is just a D.C. thing, but no. Remember, Congress has the ultimate authority still over the District of Columbia, and um, the House of Representatives actually passed a bill to to overturn this D.C. ordinance, sent it over to the U.S. Senate. Yesterday was the deadline for the Senate to vote to void this uh, this provision. And what did Chuck Schumer and the Democrats that control the U.S. Senate did? They refused to schedule a vote on it. So, so in essence, that means that um, the, the U.S. senators, the Democratic Party, approved the idea of aliens voting. So this wasn't just a D.C. Uh, city thing. Right. Of course, it's a, it's a launch pad and a, a way to test it and pilot it so they could do it everywhere yeah. if they had their way. Yeah. Absolute insanity. Now, Hans von Spakovsky, in the, the minute we have left, I want you to tell everybody that's listening how they can keep up with the wonderful work that you guys are doing. Uh, if they go to heritage.org, uh, heritage.org, they can not only see all the things that I, that I write, but 
uh, look at the things that I write elsewhere, which are always then republished at the Heritage site. Outstanding. Well, it was a pleasure as always. I appreciate your uh, your brilliance, sir. Have a great night. Thanks for coming on. Sure. Thanks for having me. You bet. All right, folks, there is more to come straight ahead. We're going to talk about narcissism with the doctor that wrote the book. So don't go anywhere. Don't move a muscle. It's Rich Valdez, America at Night. We're coming right back. America. Welcome back. It's Rich Valdez. And uh, as promised, we have our guest uh, who, in my opinion, is an expert on this because she wrote the book on it. And you don't write books if you're not an expert, right? At least that's what we say in radio. Uh, Dr. Tracy Kemble. She's the author of Narctionary. That's a play on words, right? Uh, The Narcissistic Abuse Recovery Dictionary. Dr. Kemble, welcome to the program. Thank you very much for having me. Yeah, it's my pleasure. So, you know, I... um, I, I mentioned this in the uh, the top of the hour of hour number one of this program, and I was saying that so often we hear people throw this term around um, to the point where I think most people don't really really know what it means, and those that do know what it know what it means have probably had a personal experience dealing with someone that had uh, narcissistic tendencies or the narcissistic personality disorder. And and if they did, then they probably have, you know, a, a lot of trauma and abuse and, and, and a history uh, that they've had to work through. And and I think it's it, it, we don't want to cheapen the term. Right. I, I think it's a serious thing that people deal with. And and I'm, I'm guilty as one of these people of saying, you know, oh, I'm a narcissist. I'm in radio. I love to hear the sound of my own voice, that type of thing. <laughs> and and, you know, and and I, when I saw this, I said, you know, this is probably a topic that we should, probably should address. And I only know this because I've spoken with people, friends of mine who uh, had gone through things like this with a. Uh, with a, a relationship they were in and, and mentioned that, that, you know, someone was, you know, dealing with this uh, narcissistic uh, personality disorder. And I thought, well, yeah, I don't know anything about that. And it just, it was a recent conversation. And I saw this come through and I said, my goodness, we've got to talk about this. So Dr. Tracy Campbell, author of Narctionary, the Narcissistic Abuse Recovery Dictionary. Tell us what inspired you to write this book. Gosh, I think probably because I I got my life PhD in in living with narcissism (laughs) and uh, had my life really uh, turned upside down by the condition of narcissism. And when I found my way out of the the fog or what I call Narkyville, uh, I I just I have spent the past 30 years of my life dealing with recovery and helping people repair their the, the damage because there's there is authentic damage that can come from being in a, a narcissistic, a truly narcissistic abusive situation. Because, you know, what you said opening the show was so important is that it's such a confusing subject because of the fact that narcissism is a spectrum disorder. And it's one of those things that that we need healthy narcissism to be able to maintain ourselves in life. And if that tips left or right, that's when we start to get into trouble. And that's why so many people throw it around lightly. Oh, they're narcissistic. Well, you know, all of us are in a sense. It's when it tips the scale because it tips the scale that uh, people's lives begin to get affected. 
so glad you mentioned that. I didn't really know that. And but I do know that it's kind of like inattentiveness or distractibility where people can be inattentive and they can be distracted, but they don't have ADD or ADHD until it's actually a disorder and you're all screwed up because of your inability to be attentive. And I only know that because I've had that for a long time. <laughs> so <laughs> one of the few places that I can be attentive is when I'm talking to millions of people on the radio. Um, and it's the oddest thing, but it's kind of how that works. So um, now that we know that uh, narcissism runs on a spectrum, let's talk about your particular journey and traumatic experience with narcissism. Well, you know, um, narcissism has been, I would say, in my world since uh, since I can remember. And so it kind of was normalized to me, like many people, is that we don't recognize that we're living in it. And what happened is that it, I would say that it was what led me into a worse place. It was a combination of my personal wounds meeting up with, you know, a like-minded energy and these two lines attracting into itself. And I entered into a relationship that, yes, it had all the warning signs that something was wrong. But one of the biggest problems is, is that it didn't have a name at that time. So I was young and I blindly got into it and literally watched my world uh, go from a young woman who thought I had the world at my feet to five short years later, having my feeling like I was being dragged around the world by my feet. I was beat up and bruised. I was dazed and confused, but I didn't have a single bruise on my body, right? My heart was bruised, but I didn't have any physical evidence. Well, fast forward, fast forward, um, you know, it, it, narcissism and narcissistic abuse trauma and narcissistic um, recovery, it didn't have a name many years ago. We're only talking about the past six, seven years where uh where the professionals are really beginning to take it serious, so serious that it actually, they found that it causes brain trauma, that it, <laughs> that it, there's a special recovery for it. But before that, so many people slipped through the cracks because there was no help available and there was no help for the narcissist and which is a difficult journey. And there was no help for the victim, which is what I was. And it was a long, long, laborious journey to get back to wellness. And when I finally crossed that line, crossed a line that, you know, it took me to the point of not wanting to live, thinking that all the problems uh, were my fault, it literally annihilating my sense of self. You know, I remember when I first went into therapy and the therapist does what therapists do. Why are you here? I looked yeah. at the therapist. How does that make you I, feel? Yeah. Right. <laughs> why are you here? And I looked at the therapist and I said, I'm here because my brain feels like mush and I feel invisible. And that was the only symptoms that I could describe. And that was the beginning of my journey to understanding that I was dealing with a, a real condition um, from being around a personality who uses people as a fuel source instead of love. And the, the techniques and the manipulations are what I call now so many years into my healing, the shenanigans that they pull to get people to stay connected to them so that they can keep their own self emotionally alive. 
Wow. Let's talk about that a little bit uh, because I think there are people listening and they're hanging on your every word because they're thinking, maybe I'm in one of these situations because my brain feels like mush and I feel invisible. And you talk about these crazy making behaviors that imprison people in the cycle of narcissistic abuse. What are some of these crazy making behaviors? Well, you know, I have um, I have a program, a recovery program. It's called the Reclaiming Me program, and I break it down into different segments, uh, different modules. We have six different modules, and the second module alone is dedicated just to what I call the the shenanigans of the of the narcissist. Um, and there are actually, you know, when you're in, in the narcissistic uh, relationship, you feel completely alone and you feel like I am the only person going through this, whatever this is, which pardon me, which one of the reasons why I wrote the dictionary was to give name to the ghosts. And uh, we'll talk Mm -hmm. about that in just a bit, but you know, some of the things that, that, um, the narcissist will do is they will induce, um, extreme amounts of fear that, if you talk to most victims, they will say, you know, they'll say, why did you stay? Well, first off, you've been um, conditioned, which is a form of brainwashing, to stay, to believe that if you step outside of this relationship, you actually might die. That's how much it goes in and it just erases your sense of confidence in life. Um, they do things that it, it, it's a form of brainwashing. It's actually called narcissistic abuse conditioning. Mm. They they do gaslighting, which is when they try to distort your truth. They create chaos and um, through the gaslighting. I mean, the gaslighting is probably one of the, the most common um, techniques or shenanigans that they use because when they can make you start to uh, question your reality – uh, that you know you're starting to lose emotional foundation. They do such things as as they steal your identity, and this is why so many narcissistic abuse victims feel invisible. There is something that you know they have abusive expectations. They the they are professional blamers, and one of the things that I I like to share with uh, narcissist victims or survivors of narcissism is, you know, all those awful things that the narcissist is telling you about you. Yes. They're actually telling on themselves. So every time they call you worthless, it's because they feel worthless. It's every time that they try to make you doubt, um, or, or you to feel uh, less than they're telling on themselves. And Mm. I've, I've broken into projection exactly there's the sexual betrayal that happens and it's sexual betrayal from um stepping out all the time on their partner or the opposite of completely withholding any type of intimacy from their partner so let me jump in before you keep going because i had a question on that um the is this narcissist uh and this relationship is it always a romantic partner or is it is there other types of relationships where narcissism is at play that is such a good question, and there's so many people when they hear about the program, they say, oh, I don't know if I if I need narcissistic abuse recovery, and our, our team is like, what about narcissistic abuse training? Because we think that the pandemic affected people. I believe that narcissism uh, is, uh, is almost at pandemic levels right now, that people are losing that sense of empathy towards another person. They're becoming very self-involved, self-absorbed people. And 
when and it's it's just it, it can happen with uh, an intimate partner, it can happen with a parent child, it can happen with a sibling, it can happen with a boss, it can happen with the the woman that you have to work with at the PTA or the bowling wow. alley. So it knows no it, bounds. It knows no bounds. It knows no race. It knows no creed. It knows no color. Wow. It, 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 Doc, it, stand by just a moment. We have to take a pause here. It's live radio, but we're going to come right back. We're on with Dr. Tracy Kemble. She's the author of Narctionary, and we're coming right back. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. All right, America, welcome back. It's Rich Valdez, and we're on with Dr. Tracy Kemble, Ph.D. She's the author of Narctionary, the Narcissistic Abuse Recovery Dictionary. And I want to pick up where we left off. We were talking about the behaviors uh, that the narcissist um, displays and things that people could look out for in whatever kind of relationship they're in with a narcissist. Dr. Tracy, go right ahead. Yeah, so thanks for coming back. So this uh, the thing about narcissism, as I to repeat really quickly, is that you feel, when you're in it, you feel so much alone and that you're tolerating things or uh, being conditioned to things that nobody else would ever experience. And there's actually the, it, the very predictable responses from the narcissist. So part of the recovery is really becoming educated on how to recognize uh, the shenanigans techniques that they do, the manipulations that they do, all with the goal of getting fuel, i.e. reaction, that makes them realize that they are still alive or that they have power and control over another person. And And Is there like three or four telltale signs or three or four things people could look out for? Well, let's talk about the cycle of narcissism. Uh, So when a person first enters into a relationship with a narcissist, and it's going to answer your question in in a broad sense, when a person first enters into a relationship with a narcissist, one of the first things the narcissist will do is become completely enamored with what they call the target. And that can be so misleading because, because, you know, like opposites attract in this is that normally the narcissist is attracted to somebody who would be a self-deprecate, somebody who was wounded, somebody who is a a wounded empath, as I would say. So what happens is that this person comes in and they present themselves as basically the knight in shining armor. And they, when they um, go in for their target or their victim, they literally put them up on this pedestal and show, it's called love bombing. It's not love, it's love bombing. And, and it's meant to bomb you. It's meant to overload you. It's meant to overwhelm you. So then you, you slowly get manipulated. Uh, I like to call it at this stage of my recovery, onboarded, just like cults onboard their victims. You get onboarded into, into the world of narcissism. And it is as though it can take anywhere from a matter of months to two years that this person who loved and adored and, and had you on the pedestal will suddenly click and turn. 
Um, this is it goes from phase one, which is like the dream girl or the dream boy, because females can be narcissists too, um, stage, in to the next stage, which is when they start to, uh, they go from a love to a hate. Uh, they go from the nice to the mean. And suddenly everything that you do that that evoked a positive emotion from your narcissist suddenly doesn't work. Now, it is such a, a confusing time for the person who has fallen in love with a narcissist because suddenly the rules have changed. And you're thinking, we were so good yesterday, and, and, and when I did A, B, and C, they responded with love, and now they're responding with irritation. What's happening here? And this is all part of the process of getting you to start um, your pursuance, your performance, your, your, your pining after the narcissist's love. And what will happen is a telltale sign is that that when you, uh, I'll just speak in as females right now, begin to cry in a relationship and, and express the fact that you have been hurt by the actions of this person that says that they love you, it's that they don't care about your tears. And, and the thing is, is that they do care about their te- your tears, but they see it as a fuel source. So they actually want to bring you to a point of pain in order to extract fuel. Ah, look how powerful I am to make that person hurt. And then the third thing hmm. that happens, the third phase, yeah, the third phase is called the discard well, Before phase. you get into the third thing, I'm going to take another quick pause, and we're going to come back and continue with that third piece. Folks, we're on with Dr. Tracy Kemble. She's the author of Narctionary. You don't want to miss this. Keep it locked right here. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. America at Night with Rich Valdez. All right, America, welcome back. We're about to wrap up with Dr. Tracy Kemble, author of Narctionary. And, Doc, I want you to give us that third point in the um, in the cycle you were describing. Will do. First off, a quick review. Phase one is the dream girl, dream boy stage. Phase two mm-hmm. is the devaluation phase. And phase three is the discard phase. And the discard phase is when this person will suddenly exit your life or do the sudden breakup. And there's two phases in the in this. There's the ones that will break up and come back and break up and come back. Or the other one is they will break up and completely disappear and move on with their life and find a new love and start the cycle all over again as though you never existed. Literally putting a person out as though they're trash. And it's a very devastating cycle that can go on for years and years and years. Wow. Now, Doc, let everybody know where they can get a copy of the book. I always urge people to get two copies, one that they can keep for themselves, one they can give away to somebody that might benefit from it. Uh, what's the best way to get a copy of the book? Best way is Amazon.com. Uh, if you can remember the word dictionary, that tells you what the words mean. Narctionary, it's uh, with an N, it's dictionary with an N. And it's uh, over 350 terms, descriptions that happen within the world of, of narcissism, narcissistic abuse, narcissistic trauma, and most important, narcissistic recovery. And if people want to learn more about you and the work you're doing uh, and continue to follow you, what's the uh, website uh, for them to get in touch with you? 
drtracy.tv, and our program on that site is called Reclaiming Me. Outstanding. That's drtracy.tv. And go ahead. You wanted to add something. Uh, The program is called Reclaiming Me from Narcissistic Abuse to Self-Love because self-love is the only antidote to curing narcissistic abuse trauma. That's, that's, I think that's a big point. We probably should have spent a little more time on that. Maybe the next time you come on, we could talk about self-love because I think so often when, uh, whenever I bring a psychologist on, what we talk about is self-loving, not self-love. So thank you, Doc, for joining us and uh, giving us uh, this little peek into your book. Grab a copy of the book, Dr. Tracy Kemble. Thank you so much. All right, folks, more to come straight ahead. It's Open Phone America. Don't go anywhere. I'm Rich Valdez. We'll be right back. that never sleeps 17 miles from madison square garden new york city it's america at night with rich valdez america's favorite late night talk program featuring interesting guests from around the world and calls from across america and now here is your host rich valdez Hi there, good evening, and what's up, America? I am Rich Valdez, Valdez with an S, at Rich Valdez on all of the social media. And if you want to chime in on our late night live and national town hall forum, feel free to do so. Give us a call, 833-4-VALDEZ is the phone number, 833-482-5337. Bunch of things to talk about. Just a quick recap on what we've talked about. Immigration, what a disaster. Uh, the The... Chief of the Border Patrol testified earlier today that we no longer have operational control of the southern border. The United States Department of Homeland Security does not have operational control of the southern border. He said that under oath uh, in a hearing today of the United States House of Representatives. What committee was that? Let's see. uh, The Homeland Security Committee. And um, that was an eye opener uh, considering Alejandro Mayorkas, the the secretary of DHS said, I don't know, two months ago, six weeks ago, absolutely, yes, we have control. So there goes that one. That narrative is out the window. Plus, we have uh, a discussion that we had on the legality of parole, what they're calling um, immigration parole. Uh, If you missed any of those conversations, make sure you check out the podcast for the program at richvaldezamericaatnight.com. Rich Valdez America at Night. You can get all the archived episodes there as well as you can hit the listen live button and listen live just in case you're on one of our hundreds of stations that may not carry all three hours or carry us live. Some people carry us overnight, which is great. I know we just picked up a new station um, out west. Uh, I think... uh, station I, I used to be on for a little bit uh, as a fill-in host, uh, KTTH, which is in Seattle, Washington. Big shout out to them. I know they're carrying us overnight. So kudos to everybody over there. Jason Rance, who I just saw at CPAC, was the one who filled me in. He said, hey, we just started carrying your show overnight. I said, oh, that's awesome. I didn't even know. So uh, I'm grateful to be there. Uh, but there's some other headlines before we open up the phone lines for Open Phone America. And one of the the stories here is, listen to this. <clears throat> Thousands of Los Angeles school district workers 
are to hold a three-day strike. Now, when I hear the teachers are going to go on strike, I think to myself, especially in L.A., I think, does it only have to be three days? Can we get a, maybe a double that? You know, can we get six days? Can we get a week off? Because, quite frankly, uh, I think it's a service to the children. You know, it's a little bit less indoctrination. It's a little bit less. And if you're thinking, Rich, that's messed up. Why are you attacking the te-? I'm not attacking the teachers. I'm attacking those teachers. And I'm sure somebody that's in L.A. is going to say, hey, I've been a teacher for 30 years. I'm not talking about you either. I'm talking about somebody who's recently graduated from a teacher's college and now works in Los Angeles. And there's a whole bunch of them. Matter of fact, uh, James O'Keefe uh, had caught one of them on video not that long ago. And this free time and you could do what you want in your free time. Yes. But the guy had a hammer and sickle uh, on his T-shirt. This guy was an avowed communist. Is that who you want teaching your high school civics and government class? Of course not. And it doesn't end there. Listen, to it's not just in uh, in California. Let's move a little bit further uh, east. Let's go to Oregon. Parents are outraged after Oregon an Oregon teacher asked students to write a, quote, sexual fantasy short story minus oral sex and minus penetration. But it was still a sexual fantasy story. The assignment asked students to incorporate objects like candles, massage oils, and feathers into the story. So just imagine, you send your kid to school, and A, there's no teacher there. All right, thank goodness there's no teacher there, because when they show up, this is what they're teaching your kid, right? They're telling them to write this sexual fantasy, but, you know, be creative. Don't use penetration or oral sex. Disgusting. We're going to get to that momentarily, um, because I think this is something that we want to discuss Then we have a couple of other things. Let me just give you a quick rundown here of things I want to get to tonight. Um, Let's see. Blah, 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 blah. Here we go. Uh, Dr. Bradford Ferrick, he's been accused of possessing child pornography. So now it's not just teachers that are involved in child porn. Now it's doctors. And, of course, I know this affects people from every walk of life that that can get caught up in this this, uh, depravity. But... It just goes to show you what's going on. Now, let me circle back to this story in Oregon. So this Oregon high school has pulled a very suggestive class assignment asking students to write a short story about a sexual fantasy. Why? Because of backlash from parents. Good for you, parents. Students in the health class who missed their coursework at Church Hill High School in Eugene, Oregon, were asked via Canvas, an online learning management system, to complete a 10-point assignment titled fantasy story. Listen to this. For those students who were absent, you will write a short story of a paragraph or two. The story is a sexual fantasy that will have no penetration of any kind or oral sex. No way of passing an STI. This is a quote from the assignment. I didn't just make it up. I'm not, I'm reading it from an article, but it's a quote from the assignment that the teacher assigned to the students. So clearly they're trying to tell you, this is how you can do sexual fantasies. And we want you to use your imagination. Now I'm ad-libbing so that you don't catch or pass a uh, STI. The assignment also asked students to choose three items such as candles, massage oil, feathers, flavored syrup in the story. And it has a, a screenshot. I'll put the article on, on social media, on Twitter, if you want to take a look at it. At Rich Valdez with an S. Uh, but just to continue a little bit here. It says your story should show that you can 
receive loving physical affection without having sex. The teacher, Kirk Miller, added at the end of the assignment, the assignment was posted to a Facebook group and received hundreds of comments from parents within an hour. If an adult male asked my daughter to share her sexual fantasies with him, I would be livid and going to the police. No teacher has any business asking this of a child, said one parent. One of the parents... Also concerned about it, Catherine Rogers said students in the class felt mortified, awkward, and creeped out. The district reviews these curriculums before they get approved, right? Is something another parent chimed in. Did they actually read this? If it was removed, if it was reviewed, how did it slip through the cracks? I could see this easily becoming a national scandal, that same mom told Oregon Live. So I'm going to get your reaction to that, plus all of the other stories we uh, discussed tonight. Plus, we had a great interview with Dr. Tracy Campbell discussing narcissism and narcissistic uh, abuse conditioning, something I didn't even know about. We learned a lot on that interview. So, uh, your calls and more straight ahead. Don't go anywhere. Don't move a muscle. The phone lines are open as of now. 833-482-5337. 833-4-VALDEZ. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. All right, going to your calls momentarily, 833-482-5337. Listen to this. Uh, the, at the World Baseball Classic, the Italians, guess what they have in their locker room? All right, time's up. They have an espresso machine, and it was a hit at the World Baseball Classic. Uh, th- this is interesting, right? Listen to this. Um, old-time baseball players would likely be appalled, according to this. Italy's dugout at the World Baseball Classic comes outfitted with an espresso machine, and it's getting lots of attention. Here's a quote. We're kind of shocked, actually, because this is something in Italian culture that's sort of like water. I mean, coffee would be right after water. That's the manager of the Italian team, Mike Piazza. <laughs> and uh, Piazza said he was content with the Nespresso machine in the dugout, but dissatisfied with the coffee being served in a paper cup and not a ceramic one. Saying, quote, I don't like espresso out of a paper cup. It's kind of sacrilege, Piazza said. But when it's the only option you have, you have to deal with it. Maybe next time we'll bring the metallic machine with the copper eagle on top and someone in there uh, will be knocking out espressos. We have to make the most with the tools that we have, he said. Uh, Andre Marcone, the president of the Italian Baseball Federation, said he was content with with the exposure the Italian team was getting, even for its coffee habits, saying, right now, we're the most followed national team for a series of things which took place connected to our good old Italian customs. So that's pretty cool. And again, uh, I, I, as I understand it from our production team in the studio, um, the Puerto Rico team beat the Dominican Republic tonight, which I didn't see coming, but I thought was kind of cool. And I'm just going to make a prediction here. I think that 
the United States team might win the entire classic. So uh, let's see if I'm right or wrong. I'm not a sports guy, never been one, don't pretend to be one, but I wanted to just uh, chime in on this since it's somewhat non-consequential. It's not the World Series or anything, but let's get to your calls. 833-4-VALDEZ, 833-4-VALDEZ. Beautiful. And by the way, the U.S. is currently ahead of Colombia. Now, I want to get to your calls. Let's see what we've got here. Uh, Let's go to Lee in Burlington, Vermont. Lee, go right ahead. Good good evening. Or should it be good morning? It's midnight. It's buenas noches, buenos dias, WVMT. Go right ahead. Well, uh, your your guest just before midnight was talking about narcissists. I grew up. In a family where the male was a narcissist, the, the head of the family was the narcissist, and he was very brutal and abusive both to his wife and to me. And uh, he even threatened, as, as your guest mentioned, they, they make you feel like you're afraid because they might kill you. He actually threatened to kill me wow. and uh, tell the police that uh, I fell down the stairs to break my neck. He said he was going to break my neck and he would get away with murder because he had somebody that would believe him on the police. And uh, instead of that intimidating me, it made me more determined not to let him get his hands on me. Wow. And here's what you do with a narcissist. First, you don't get involved with one. They are usually, at least from my experience, before I met my husband, who was the third born in his family, like I was the third of six, we, I I identified he was not a narcissist. He was my biggest cheerleader. And he was not an only child. He was not the only male in his family. And I was ah. not the only female in my family. So and you're I was saying not that an only it, child. It, it's been your experience that the narcissist is the only male in the family or an only child? Or an only child or the only female in the family mm, or an only child. Because uh, his ex was the only female in the family and she abused him physically. Wow. Very unfortunate. And how did you uh, get away from that, Lee? Did you leave the family? Uh, did you just grow up and age out of the system? What was the, the outcome for you? Well, to keep from being abused badly physically, I just made myself scarce. I just wasn't around when he would come back. He also had an alcohol problem. Mm. And so he was drinking at the bars most of the time. And if he came back, I just wasn't around until he was sobered up. Then he wasn't as bad as he was when he was drunk. And so I would just stay out of his grasp and out of his vision and keep myself where I had some witness who could testify against him if he tried to abuse me. And my mother, when she'd come down to the barn crying, and I said, what's the matter? And she'd say, he beat me again. And I said, why don't you divorce him? Because then I'd lose the farm. He had her so convinced that she would lose everything she'd worked for, 
that that's how he kept her under control, under wow. his thumb. I tell you, it's so unfortunate to hear a story like that, but I'm glad you had a successful outcome. Lee, I appreciate it. Thanks for calling in from WVMT in Burlington, Vermont. Hope to hear from you again soon. Let's continue our journey across the country. Open phone America to the, this is not across America. This is across the Pacific, Manila, Philippines. Let's check in with our buddy, Gil. Hey, Gil, you're on with Rich Valdez. Welcome. Well, thank you for taking my call, old buddy. Of course, um, two things, two things, if I may. Um, my family situation here. Uh, when I met my wife, she was a widow. Her first husband was in the Philippine Army. He was killed on Mindanao, uh, leaving a, a wife and a, a small child. And I thought that was a pretty good way for an old soldier like me to spend the last chapter of his life. And believe me, I got the best end of that deal. But the daughter is now uh, almost 17, and we will be traveling to the U.S. to do a formal adoption of her. Congratulations. To me. She will legally be my daughter. And her ambition is to go into the U.S. military, into military medicine, uh, where I was the last part of my military service. And um, so I'm, I'm pretty proud. Uh, yeah. Uh, number one. Uh, you, had, you had a, a guest on uh, recently that said so many uh, people in high school can't join the military because they're not qualified. So many of them are overweight. And um, if I can give you a sidebar to that, the hmm. reason that so many pe- people are overweight uh, did you have uh, school uh, lunches and meals served to you in school when you were growing up, like yeah. I did? Sure. Okay. Well, you know why they started that program? When they started calling people up for World War II after the Depression, so many men could not qualify because they were underweight and they had not been received proper nutrition for that whole time during the, the famous Great Depression. So they put in the school lunch program to make sure that uh, the people, uh, the, the men and women who wanted to go into the military would be uh, heavy enough, but they've gone a little too far. So, yeah. but uh, that's, that's, that's the sidebar. And, uh, one of my past lives when I lived in Texas, I was a financial institution regulator. I regulated uh, at that time 400 Texas chartered credit unions. Okay. And, um, well, your guest the other night said that this bailout of uh, the two banks that have gone belly up in the states is going to come out of taxpayers' money, and that's not true. There are three insurance funds. There's the uh, FSLIC, that's for savings and loans. There's the NCUA, that's for credit unions. And then there's the FDIC, that are for commercial regular banks. And every member is assessed a fee every year in accordance with how much they have on deposit, a small amount. And that's paid into a fund. So when a bank does go belly up, the money is there. And if it's a catastrophic one, like this one in, uh, in, in California, the uh, Silicon Valley Bank, 
if there's not enough money in the uh, in the fund to, to take care of those mm-hmm. depositors, then there's a special assessment made of all other banks to come up with the money to do it. It doesn't come out of taxpayer funds. Yeah. Well, I, I, I surmise that the what he was saying was that it was taxpayer funds that would cover the cost of these federal insurance policies. Um, but uh, point well taken. Gil, thank you for the call. Uh, congrats on your daughter going to the military. It's actually something my daughter once aspired to do as well. I'm not sure if she's going to follow through with it. But uh, Godspeed to all that serve in uniform in our country. More to come straight ahead. It's America at Night with me, Rich Valdez. America, welcome back. It's Rich Valdez, and we're talking about all things under the sun right about now. Open phone America, 833-482-5337. And uh, we were talking about uh, this story out of Oregon where students were given the task of writing an assignment. And I'd ask for your input. We've gotten some input. Let's go to uh, Bedford, Indiana, WBIW, checking with Sarah. Hey, Sarah, you're on with Rich Valdez. Welcome. Hey, great show, great screeners. I'm going to miss you next week because I go to day shift for just one week. But anyway, uh, while I got you on the phone, uh, you remember in the 70s and 80s when they started making changes to public school education, what was taught in the textbooks, and one of the things they introduced under health was sex ed, ed, you know, and Mm. uh, the religious right opposed it and said that this, this would subvert uh, kids' morals and break the bond between, you know, what they're being taught at home. And, and liberals of the day responded, oh, no, we're just doing it for health reasons, you know, so a kid doesn't get an STD, and if they don't discuss it at home, someone's got to teach them the basics of life somewhere. And that's how they justified it. And the religious light said, no, it's going to lead to inappropriately sexualizing children at inappropriate age. Well, guess what? Who was right? Look, right. look what they're talking about now, you know? We've got drag queens now. Yeah, you're, you're 100% right. And, and it, it's interesting here. And again, I see this is, I believe everything pushes the envelope. Last night I played a clip of audio. I don't know if you heard it or not, but it was uh, 30 seconds long. It was like a, a news report from back in the early 80s where people were saying, I can't believe the government is infringing on our rights to, to, to drive without a seatbelt or telling us where and when we could drink a beer that we can't drink a beer or have a six-pack while we're driving our car down the road. And, and that was a natural reaction at that time when they were saying, don't drink and drive or buckle up, it's the law. And I'm, I'm not arguing for or against. I just found it fascinating that I was a little kid at that time and I don't remember seeing that stuff, but I, I just thought, wow, how remarkable that people – felt, you know, free enough to do those things. And I guess somewhere along the line, I'd have to do the research to back it up. But I, I would um, I would venture to say that drinking and driving was probably a bad idea and that seatbelts probably do save lives. And that's why they became matters of law. And, you know, and I can understand why people don't like change. But it's just interesting to see the pushback and the reticence that people had toward it, Sarah. Yeah, they they did. 
I understand on seatbelts not making it mandatory, although they do save lives. Um, drinking, driving, yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm glad they made some laws concerning that. But this is almost like a case of the verse where the people back in the 70s who were saying this is going to subvert our kids' values and they're going to push a sexual morale agenda. They were right. In this case, <coughs> you know, if you interview people back then, um, they're like you say, now we got drag queens, now we got kids being asked to write sexual fantasies. I mean, you know, it, it led to what conservatives of yesteryear warned about. Yeah, excellent point, Sarah. I appreciate it. Good luck on the day shift next week. We'll miss you, but I'm looking forward to you coming back to the night shift so you can join the conversation. And uh, we're going to continue our calls straight across America, 833-4-VALDES. Let's go to Bradford, Tennessee, WCMT, and check in with Neil. Hey, Neil, what's on your mind? Hi, Rich. I'm doing good. How are you tonight? Wonderful, thanks. Good. Okay, I'm a former teacher. When you broke the story about the student, uh, the teacher asking the students to write their sexual fantasies, I just thought I've heard it all now. It seems I think teaching is an honorable profession. Sure, I believe the teachers to be role models for their students. But unfortunately, Rich, I think you'll agree that it seems like the education profession attracts a share of bad apples. Would you not agree? I don't know if it's the education profession attracting them because I think people are altruistic when they become teachers, just the way you're mentioning it. I think that there's a union that has a lot of power and political sway and and they they have influence over universities and teacher college curricula and and they've created like an army of indoctrinators and it's not that they're attracting the bad apples so much as they're training them to be bad apples because they have a political agenda, a cultural agenda. And and that to me is a shame. And and, and I love it when a, uh, an educator like yourself calls in to 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 mark that contrast so that people can realize I'm not here taking shots at teachers. I agree with you. It's probably one of the most noble professions, like being a cop or being a nurse. Right? It's it's fundamental to uh, the fabric of our society. We need these people. However. If if you're going to abuse the trust that parents have given you, and and there, there's bad parents out there too, make no bones about that. But when you abuse that trust and you start to try and erase the line between male and female, or erase gender as a whole and make it fluid and something that somebody can arbitrarily pick based on their feelings, I think we're in a very dangerous place, Neil. Mm-hmm. Well, personally, if I were the superintendent of a school system. If I knew a teacher were guilty of this kind of activity, I would recommend that they have their licensure and credentials withdrawn, they'd be banned from the profession, be fired immediately, and I would send out letters to everybody that I knew in the, in the education community and say, look, this guy or gal does not belong in the classroom because they have certain kinky beliefs that I think children are impressionable. I just don't, I can't go along with this. I'm sorry. I'm with you, Neil. Uh, if you ever run for a superintendent or a secretary of education, you have my vote and my support. Thank you for your call uh, from Bradford, Tennessee, WCMT. And, you know, speaking of teachers in schools, I'm looking at a story here, and it is the um, the brand. I think it's Oscar Mayer, but it's owned by Kraft Heinz. Uh, it's called Lunchables, and I know them well. I've bought them for years. My kids love them. They're now going to begin serving Lunchables as meals in school cafeterias as part of a new government program. Uh, Kraft Heinz has succeeded in getting these ready-to-eat packages known as Lunchables into school lunch programs starting this fall 
with this major new initiative. Now, I don't know if this is going to be really healthy or not healthy, but I do know that kids like it. So if kids like it, it can't be that healthy. <laughs> but the company did have to reformulate their ingredients to ensure that the product met the guidelines. And I think that's important because you do need to, to take your health seriously. You do have to eat right. You have to take care of yourself. And one of the things that, to me, stands out when you're taking care of yourself is taking care of your liver. You got to take care of your liver. Why? Well, because the latest data from the American Heart Association indicates that adults with fatty liver are three and a half times more likely to have heart failure than those without. That's not good. The American Liver Foundation says that 100 million Americans have fatty liver, which means many people are at risk. We throw so many things at our livers. Some people uh, have too much cholesterol. Some drink too much alcohol, other toxins. Some people smoke cigarettes. That's why so many of us have a sluggish, fatty liver that makes us gain weight and lose energy. This is why it's time for you to help your liver. Here's the solution. Liver Health Formula from Pure Health Research. It contains 12 clinically proven botanicals that are going to help you recharge and protect your liver. Try Liver Health Formula from Pure Health Research and you're going to receive a free bottle of blood sugar formula to help reduce your sugar cravings. Listen, you can claim your offer at getliverhelp.com slash Valdez. That's Valdez with an S. Getliverhelp.com slash Valdez. Now, remember, these statements and products haven't been evaluated by the FDA. These products are not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease or condition. So keep it locked right here. Don't move a muscle. We're coming right back. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. Call now, 833-4-VALDEZ. That's 833-482-5337. 833-4-VALDEZ. That's Valdez with an S. All right, America, welcome back. It's Rich Valdez. And uh, the Tiger King, uh, you guys remember that guy. Uh, what was his name? Joe what? Joe Exotic. He has announced his 2024 presidential bid. Yes, this is actually true. I'm not kidding. Joe Exotic has announced for president. This is uh, coming from KFOR in Oklahoma City. The Tiger King is throwing his hat in the ring for president Joe Maldonado Passage, better known as Joe Exotic or the Tiger King, is currently serving a 21-year federal sentence after being convicted on multiple charges. He said he isn't going to let that stop him for running for the nation's top office. Maldonado Passage, that's his last name, it's hyphenated, uh, launched a campaign website with a personal message saying, thank you for your interest in my campaign. Yes, I know I am in federal prison and you might think this is a joke, but it's not. It's my constitutional right to do this even from here. So we'll, we'll circle back to that story in a moment. But I just think that is just so funny that uh, we got Joe Exotic uh, running for president. Now, uh, in typical fashion here on America at Night, we want to check in with our buddy Frank from Evergreen, Montana on KOFI. Frank, go right ahead, sir. Hi, uh, yeah, hi, Rich. This this is kind of a touchy subject, for especially for radio hosts who drink coffee 
Uh, it's mm. it's kind of like, especially the darker beans, it causes... Well, that sounds racist. Fighting. I'd be careful. You're treading lightly here. Okay. Well, there's a psychosis with drinking too much coffee, uh, and the darker the bean, it causes narcissism. And uh, you can't drink it all day long, you know, or you're going to burn out. And I suppose there's diuretic groups that, like teachers that sit around, drink too much, and they start, you know becoming incompetent because now i've been told by some people that in, in addition to coffee there are certain teachers that enjoy drinking vodka in excess are you familiar oh yeah definitely <clears throat> well <laughs> enough of that uh, but uh, uh now what do you, you know, think about do you first of all frank do you know who joe exotic is are you familiar with his program no, I, I just don't observe. Let me tell you a little bit about him because I think it's interesting. So this he has a, a documentary series on Netflix where he started an animal sanctuary, kind of like a zoo, for displaced big cats. And then they became smuggled big cats, stolen big cats. We're talking about lions, tigers, panthers, you name it, all sorts of exotic uh, cats. And uh, he, he was a crazy guy, some sort of swinger. Uh, he was married. I think he married a man. In the beginning, he was married to a woman or he was dating a woman. Uh, there was a lot of methamphetamine abuse there. And uh, ultimately, he went to jail and he's serving 20 years in jail, 21 years in federal prison. And he's launched uh, his campaign for president. What are your thoughts on Joe Exotic running for president, Frank? Well, we don't need more meth. I mean, that's even worse than coffee, but good gosh. Uh, no, I, it's like a gay Swedish lawyer or something. You know, I just couldn't handle it. You know, just, now, I wonder mm. if, if there's a uh, um, colorism related to the meth, like if it's a lighter meth, it's not as bad, but if it's a darker meth, it leads to narcissism. What do you think? Oh, good God. I'm just, we never have to go there. Okay. <laughs> Thank you, Frank. Evergreen, Montana, K-O-F-I. I appreciate it. And, uh, yeah, that's the, the story here. It's a real one. I, I don't know why I'm fascinated by this, but I am. I've seen people run for vanity purposes and, you know, publicity purposes. <clears throat> but Joe Exotic is really a, an interesting guy. So he goes on to say, he, he says, so I put aside that I'm a homosexual and that I'm in prison for now and that I used drugs in the past and that I had more than one boyfriend at once and that Carol hates my guts. He's talking about Carol Baskin, the lady who's been um, – frequently accused of feeding her husband to her own big cats because she also had a competing uh, sanctuary or zoo for these um, displaced and stolen animals. And he, he goes on to say, this all has uh, not a thing to do with me being able to be your voice. The best thing I said this. Yeah, that's what he said. Uh, the best thing you have going for supporting me is that I'm used to fighting for my whole life just to get by. I am broke. They've taken everything I've ever worked for away, and it's mine. So it's time that we take back the country. And that's what he wrote on his uh, campaign website. In 2018, he was the owner of the Greater Winwood Animal Park and was indicted by a federal grand jury on two counts of murder for hire. Prosecutors say Maldonado Passage gave a person $3,000 to travel from Oklahoma to Florida to carry out the murder of big cat activist Carol Baskin, the aforementioned Carol Baskin, who they claim fed her own husband to her own big cats. 
and allegedly agreed to pay thousands more after the deed, according to the United States Attorney's Office for the Western District of Oklahoma. Uh, So, yeah, this is not a bad movie. This is a real documentary, real people, and this guy's really in jail. Now, the grand jury indicted um, Joe Exotic on 19 additional counts of wildlife charges, including the violation of the Endangered Species Act and the Lacey Act. Prosecutors say he shot and killed five tigers in in October of 2017 to make room in cages for other big cats and sold tiger cubs to raise money. He was also accused of falsifying records relating to the tigers, lions, and baby uh, uh, other baby cats that were purported to be donated or transported for exhibitions but were actually sold. This is how drug dealers end up with like a white tiger in their backyard. The intended target of the hit was uh, Carol Baskin, one of his biggest critics, and she successfully sued uh, Joe Exotic for trade uh, trademark infringement back in 2011, and she was outspoken about the treatment of the animals at his park. So he's tried to overturn his uh, case. He's lost an appeal just last year, so now he's running for president. Fascinating, fascinating to say the least. Anyway, more to come and your calls straight ahead. 833-4-VALDEZ, 833-482-5337. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. I want to listen to you, Rich, all the time. America at Night with Rich Valdez. All right, America, welcome back. So uh, earlier I mentioned a story about a doctor who had um, been arrested for alleged child porn possession. And uh, it's a little too long to get into now. Maybe I'll cover it tomorrow. But I did uh, just tweet the story out in case you want to take a look at it, at Rich Valdez with an S. And um, once we wrap, I'll send out some of the other stories as well. Uh, There was also this uh, clip of audio that I wanted to play for you of Doug Emhoff. He is the first, no, excuse me, the second gentleman. Um, He is the husband of Vice President Kamala Harris, who I like to call Kamala Harris. And um, I want you to listen to this. One woman who was saved in the Holocaust in Germany, settled in Ukraine, and is now a refugee again back in Berlin, where she originally left as a, as a Jew in the Holocaust. So you can't, these are the stories that are happening out there. And so this stuff is so important. This hate is interconnected. You see it in the discourse in the country right now. You see it in the, in the divide that we have and that. Just going to the school meeting, you see that, that hate that is out there. We've got to step up and speak out. And we've got to call out the cowards out there. People, as my wife likes to say, these so-called leaders, but she's right. Because you can't be in leadership if you're not going to lead. So that's Doug Emhoff again. Now, um, he's comparing this, what he's calling hate at school board meetings to the Holocaust and people returning back to to Berlin after, you know, uh, 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 whatever that is, 90 years or whatever it is since since then. And, and, and I think to myself, my math is not great, but really, is is that the uh, the conversation that we need to have? Uh, they also asked him at South by Southwest, what's she like? And he says, she's just like a regular person. And, you know, at first I thought there's nothing regular about this person. 
But then I thought, yeah, she is kind of regular, maybe too regular, way too regular to be uh, in the capacity that she serves in. I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong, uh, but I, I haven't seen anything impressive come out of Vice President Kemala Eris. But we shall see how that continues. Now, I wanted to circle back with something uh, that I mentioned before, which was not uh, just uh, this Doug Emhoff character and his stupid comments about hate in, in Berlin. And, and that's what it's like when you go to a school board meeting, uh, because I don't think the two are comparable in any way. But I wanted to talk about how the, the, uh, our producer reminded me that Carol Baskin recently had um, done an interview saying she had found her husband and he was actually alive and well in Costa Rica and he was located by the Department of Homeland Security. And when the media reached out, they said, we don't know what she's talking about. So <laughs> who knows what's really going on there? Anyway, take care. Good night and God bless. Hasta la próxima. Until the next time, America will do it all again tomorrow. I am Rich Valdez. This was America at Night. John brings his skewed sense of humor. Jeff brings tips to cut strokes off your next round. Together, it's those weekend golf guys. They'll pay a lot of money to PXG and Titleist and Callaway and on and on and on. Right? How many yards do you think you're going to pick up with that extra? I think I can get an extra five to ten. What if I give you 15 to 20? <laughs> you pay me more. Jeff Smith right? teaches on the sliding scale. <laughs> those weekend golf guys, the podcast, part of the Believe Network. Just search B-L-E-A-V on YouTube or wherever you listen.